This morning I want to talk about the aroma of Christ among the nations. If you say give Christ your life, meaning that you are giving him the right to lead, to guide, and to play a role in your life. So why I say that? Because some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with us this morning, they touch on the elements of living an, our one and only life. Because we don't have two lives. We don't have a life on Monday to Friday, then we've got another life on Sunday. We have this one life that we live here. If you're a taxi driver, you are a child of God and a taxi driver. If you are a teacher, you are a child of God and you are a teacher. If you are a waiter, you are a child of God and you are a waiter. And I'll move further to say that you are not just a child of God, you are called to be a witness where God has placed you. You and I are called to be witnesses. So don't look at me as a pastor on Sunday. I am a child of God, I am a witness of Christ. You are a child of God, a witness of Christ. You are also a disciple of, God, of Jesus Christ. We are the aroma of Christ among the nations. As I was preparing, it reminds me the time that we planted Common Ground Church Weinberg. We, the word nations was one of the things that actually was at play and they still remain to date uh, the evidence the nations are here, but also the nation somewhere else. Today's talk has to do with the mission. But Paul, we are going to be learning from Paul's missionary testimony. He's giving his own testimony. Uh, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we are going to be looking at verse 12 to verse 17. Uh, and this is our week for, we are in this book for like for a long period. It's quite going to be, it's a long journey, about 22 to 23 weeks that we're going to be spending in this book. Before we read or before we turn to the text from Second Corinthians, as I said, let me put it in a missionary context. The Apostle Paul was a missionary a Christ follower, a missionary. Sometimes a word missionary sounds too old and we don't sometimes use it, then we cut it, we say the mission of the church. But I want to remind us, if you're a Christ follower, you have a mission of God. Therefore, using the word missionary, as no, not, there's nothing wrong to that. The Apostle Paul was a missionary. We have seen that with crystal clarity in Romans chapter 15. Why say that his ambition, his only ambition was to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already being named. He wanted to go and reach the unreached. And he, he continues to say that he didn't want to build on anyone's foundation. Please, we are not there yet. Just put the first slide. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. We'll get to that passage. I was just referring to Romans chapter 15, verse 20. It's not there. I'll get my son while I'm talking. He's getting ready. He's going to be reading for me. Um, so Apostle Paul was called to the frontiers where the church was not yet established. And we call this today frontier or mission frontiers that we see a lot of churches are doing or pioneer missions or missions to unreached people group. Paul was the first and probably the greatest when it comes to that. But it doesn't mean that it ended with Paul because Generations and generation guards continue to raise people who are going beyond the borders, who are starting ministries everywhere. 
And this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you're a Christ follower, to really position yourself into the great mission of God, where do you stand? Whether in this church or elsewhere, where do you stand when it comes to the great commission that God has given his church? Now, before we go further, in terms of mission, I need to obvious some of you to remind you about the mission itself because we cannot talk of mission outside of God's word because mission is from God. The church doesn't own the mission but God owns the mission then therefore he gave it to us. When the last thing Jesus said to us in Matthew 28 before he went back to heaven was all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this is the evidence to show that the mission was not specifically only given to Paul or to those who went before us. Here we see Jesus is saying, he has all authority over the souls of all people and nations. He promises to be with us, to help us, and he commands us to go. That is valid today because the end of the age has not yet come. It's valid today. Here's another reason. Psalm 96, verse 2 to 3 Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declares his glory among the nations. So marvelous works among all the people. God created the world to display and magnify his glory. That's what he created the world. People who don't believe don't magnify the glory of God or his grace. So it should be a desire of Christ followers. We want them to glorify God. We want them to magnify the grace of God. We want the earth to be filled with the knowledge of God. Even as a church, I think you'd get that word. We say that we stand as a church that is committed to fill the city with a message, the life, and the what? What is your mission statement? And the what? Life, message, and fame of Jesus Christ as a church. But when we mention that this is not something new, this is God's given mission, we are just changing it in our context. Therefore, the church doesn't own, but it is God who gives. We are just tweaking to fit our context so that we can be clearer enough when it comes to the mission. How about this one Then we are going to be reading from today's text? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The love of God extends salvation to all people. It doesn't exclude people. Everyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life with him. And everyone who doesn't perishes. But how do people believe if the believers don't talk about what they believe in? How do people believe or hear about Jesus if the believers are ashamed of what they believe? How would people know about Christ when those who are called to be witnesses have ceased to talk about their own experience and their own salvation and what Christ has done for them? We 
Why would you expect your friend at work who you consider to be an unchrist follower to be transformed if our lives are not the aroma of Christ to the nations? Let's look at Paul's testimony. I'm going to call my son to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. He does read better than I do. That's the reason why I do ask him to read. Please, can you come and read uh, now? Yeah. I'm asking if he is going to read now. Can I have the mic, please? Can I have the mic? It's there. Let me put it up on for you. You have to get used to this because come, you are a pastor's son. It's not me. Come and read for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking no pressure. It's always a test of all spirit to get up here and read in front of people. So I have to figure this out. Um, so, uh, so uh, we'll be reading from, is, is it up? It's there, 2 Corinthians um, verse, verse 12, Chap chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. Okay, yeah. Um, so, it starts like this. When I came to Taurus to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks, to be, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. I could read that again if people didn't understand. You're not the only one. No, it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your words. I believe that you speak through your words. And it's my prayer this morning that you speak to us through your word. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you touch our hearts. Dear Lord, I pray this morning that you'd bring restoration. I pray this morning that you'd bring healing. I pray this morning, God, that you open some of us to the truth of, of who you are, the revelation of who you are. Maybe there, there is someone here who has come to check on the claims of who you are, Jesus. I pray that God wants you open their eyes to the truth of your word, that they may see the truth, that they may hear the truth, that they may hear your voice. In your name, Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, The situation behind this text is that Paul wrote a painful letter, just to remind us, to Corinth. And he is concerned about whether that letter had caused them a lot of pain. Or whether that letter has healed some stuff uh, because there were some issues. So he sent Titus to Corinth to find out how they were doing. And I think it, 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 it will help us if we can have, I put a map so that you can see uh, where, where was Titus and where was Paul. So on the map, Corinth is in the southern tip of Greece. If you go up the east coast, you come to the northern part of the peninsula called Macedonia where you'd find uh, Thessalonica and Philippi. Just to the east, across the Hadrian Sea, that separate Greece and Turkey today was Troas. 
So you can see I put some round red. I don't know where you are if you can see. So it's not like he, it, it's quite a, a very distance from where Paul was to where he had sent Titus. And Paul is concerned because God has opened the door where he was, but he's not comfortable about that because he hasn't heard anything from Titus as yet. So Titus is just on the green side where Corinth is. So let's pick up the story in verses 12 and 13. When I came to throw us to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now, a quick thing for me to mention here, it is incredible that Paul, even if he had a lot to offer when God opened the door, but he realizes that relationships are very important than just preaching the gospel. When you have relationships that are working, it cannot hinder the mission that God has given you. Even though there was an open door for the gospel in Troas, his heart was so troubled by the situation in Corinth that he decided not to stay but to keep moving to where he might meet Titus on the way back from Corinth. I won't spend much time here, but this is very interesting and may relate maybe to where you are in your life right now. A door is wide open where you are. A door is wide open where you are much needs to be done right where you are, but your spirit cannot rest. So God has blessed you where he's blessed you, and you can see the door is open, but your spirit cannot rest. God has blessed you in the work where he's blessed you. God has blessed you in a community where he's blessed you. God has blessed you in this church but your spirit cannot rest. Much needs to be done. So it was with Paul. And amazingly, he left the door, he left open door of trust behind and followed his restless spirit. That's what Paul did. Should he have left Troas? Should you? But Paul did. He left. He went. And because he did, we have this amazing portion of scripture, which is not explained here, but it is mentioned in chapter 7. I didn't put it there, but I'm going to read it so that you understand what is the big idea behind 2 Corinthians, especially chapter 2. So now Paul is in Macedonia, and at last, Titus comes. He doesn't say that in these verses. But we read in chapter 7, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting with and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. That is what's behind chapter 2 in this letter. It is what we've just read in chapter 7. But here in chapter 2, Paul does not present the situation in the same way, but rather he came and gave us the metaphor and the pictures which are a little bit difficult to understand if you 
not really good at trying to search the scriptures, you may misread them. Paul, he chooses two metaphors or word pictures that are shocking. We go to chapter 2, verse 14. He starts verse 14 by saying this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. This doesn't mean what you probably think it means. The way translated, lead in triumphal procession in Greek refers to what a great Roman general does when he leads in captivity those enemies he had captured and takes them to their death or maybe to slavery. And this word we found God using it, we found Paul using it again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. I put it on the screen. We read God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So, in Colossians, Paul says that God leads the devil in triumph. I want you to follow me carefully. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says that God leads Paul in triumph. In other ways, both have been defeated in their rebellion against God. Follow me carefully. Paul has been defeated against his, rebe his rebellion against God, and Satan has been defeated. Both are being led in triumphal procession and shamed for their rebellion, but the great difference is that Paul is in Christ and Satan is not in Christ. Still in verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. In other words, Paul was defeated and taken captive, but he was brought to faith and forgiven and justified and made glad and willing servant of the greatest general who ever was, God himself. Paul was in Christ, and that makes all the difference compared to, to Satan who has been triumphed but is not in Christ. But why would Paul use all this language that is a difficult one to understand or to position ourselves in. Here's the reason. Paul uses this because he wants to accomplish two almost opposite things at the same time. On the one hand, Paul is trying to let us understand that he has been conquered, overcome by God, and Paul is in God's service and not his own service. But on the other hand, God is like a great general and Paul is conquered and called to suffer in his service, even death. That's what this word picture accomplishes. Then come on the other end, Paul wants to rejoice and thank God that the Corinthians have repented and that his painful letter did not actually cause them what he was thinking it has caused them, but bless them. That's a triumph worth celebrating. And he's trying to put all these things in a few verses in what is saying between uh, verse 12 and verse 14. But as we continue to read, even if Paul is celebrating the victory of the Corinthians who have repented, but he also acknowledges 
He knows that there are many adversaries in Corinth who do not accept his authority as an apostle and who have preached a different gospel. Again, when we get to chapter 11, in the same letter, chapter 11, verse 4, Paul refers to these apostles as super apostles. When you read chapter 11, verse, verse 4 and verse 5, and in chapter 12, verse 11. Why would Paul refer to them like that? Paul understood that these guys, they were against Paul because Paul was not buying into the idea. They don't recognize Paul's authority. And they don't see Christ in his ministry. That's what they were saying. They were trying to get the church to say, there is nothing that Paul is going to bring or do or bring to you that will bring you happiness. So in other ways, Paul knows that he is not being seen as a great person before these apostles, as a true apostle, as a missionary, the way some think it should be. And we learn that some people believed what Paul preached and some did not believe. Some see Christ in him and some don't see Christ in Paul. They only see weakness. He has some successes, but he also has some failures. That's the reason why Paul was very careful. He chooses words that would try to describe him in two ways. That describes him both as belonging to a great victor and as a conquered enemy whose service of the king is to suffer and to look weak and even die for the king. Led in triumphal procession as a defeated enemy in the service of, in the, service of the king. So we continue. The second picture is of his life as a sacrificial offering that has a sweet fragrance before God. This picture starts in the middle of verse four, uh, 14. And through us, Paul says, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Paul here, he pictures his missionary life and ministry as spreading a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And the reason I say it is a picture of a sacrifice being offered to God is that in verses 15, it says that the aroma is faced to God. The aroma is not first to anyone else, but the aroma is first to God. It is like an incense being offered to God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, verse 15a. Not first to the world, but to God. I want to ask you a question. Are you the aroma of Christ to the world before you are an aroma of Christ to God? Because if you are an aroma of Christ to the world before you are to God, what you do is to please those around you and not to please the one who is the king. The reason the other apostles were trying to fight Paul was because these other apostles, they found it difficult to represent Christ and all they wanted was to please those who were following them. In other ways, they were the aromas of Christ to the world before, instead of being the aroma of Christ to God. Ephesians 5 explains it so well so that we can understand this language. 
Ephesians 5 verse 2 gives the best explanation of this picture. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. So when Christ died for sinners, it was like a fragrant offering that was very pleasing to God. It was an offering that was pleasing to God. Now here is Paul standing and he's trying to use the same metaphor in the place of Christ as a missionary and the suffering like Christ in the service of his conquering Lord. And he says, we are the aroma of Christ to God. In other words, when we suffer as missionaries in the service of Christ, it is like Christ suffering for the lost. So when you suffer as a Christ follower because you are doing God's work, because you are proclaiming the gospel, it is like Christ suffering for the lost. And God's, you know, God smells this fragrance of sacrificial love and it pleases him. And that's a picture so far. The message of God's mission, the message of God's of sacrificial giving of ourselves, it's not a message that you find common today. Most of the time, the message that is common is, I'm sitting and I want to hear how God is going to fix me and the issues that I have so that I can have a better life. How can I be an aroma to myself and not to God? An aroma of Christ to myself because at the moment, I just want me or I to be okay. We want to eliminate in our walking and our calling, our walking with Christ, we don't want anything to do with suffering. In fact, the evidence that you have Christ to some people is the fact that you don't go through some normal human suffering which are not even persecution because you are sharing God's word. By the way, as I was preparing, God put to my heart to say something about some of you who are in work situation and the reason you are wanting to change is because it's getting difficult. God said, hold on. No time yet. Don't run away. People who have a mission of God, whenever they make the move, they are movers to be aligned to God's will. We don't run away from one place to the other because I have to remind you if it's out of God's will, therefore you are just leaving yourself as an aroma to Christ, but for yourself, not an aroma of Christ to God because all you are looking for is comfort and comfort will never be found in this life. We have friends and folks who are coming from other countries here and the reason you are wanting to pack so that you can go back home, I have to say only if it is an opportunity, the door that God has opened and wants you to walk through it, please I would say pack and go. But if not, you have to seek God's will. We learned that Paul left that door open. He didn't walk through it. But because there was something divine about the mission, he understood the importance of relationships above service. In fact, he's following the way of God. God is so interested on us than what we do for him. For God so loved the world that he gave. He did not give because he wanted us to save. He did not give because we were already, we had already said yes to him. We had already repented. He gave because we were yet sinners.
Now, I was saying that Paul recognized that what he was doing was great. He would celebrate, but at the same time, there were people who did not like what he was doing. So there is evidence here. This aroma of the love of Christ in the sacrificial service of the missionary may please God, but it does not please everybody. Friends, serving the Lord is not going to please everybody. Some people will be pleased, some people will like you, but not everyone will like you. And if you are starting to seek for people to like you or to love you because of what you do for Christ, that's a lie. That's not the gospel. By the way, this aroma divides the world. Look at this division in verses 15 and 16. Let's read that. It divides the world. When you are a true aroma of Christ to God, you can be very dangerous to some people and it can divide the world. You'll be hated. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Can you see the division? To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. In other words, some people, they smell the sacrificial love of Christ in the life of a missionary and it is only smells like death. That's what Paul is trying to say. When people, they see him, when people, they smell what he's doing, when they think, they hear the gospel, all they smell is death. They don't see any life in it. It doesn't make sense to them. They hear the gospel and all they hear is death. Now, I'm referring to the gospel because even as I'm sharing here, I'm taking us through God's word. I'm referring to the true gospel because people who don't hear death in the true gospel are those who are willing to listen and to open up their heart to the spirit of God so that God can work in and through them. They are desperate. They are thirsty for the truth. But people who hear death when you preach the true gospel are the people who are looking for things to happen right now, right here, want things to change, around, and they are only thinking about themselves. And that's not our God. That's not the true gospel. They look at the cross and all they see is death. They don't see life. They see no life. No hope, no future, no joy. And so they turn away. And if they turn away forever, they die. This is what Paul is trying to say. They are the perishing ones. Because he said that they will perish. Because that smell of death leads to death. And that's the heartbreaking side of mission. Friends, I don't know about you if you're a Christ follower and whether you have a sense of agency when it comes to the mission of God. How remind us again, God did not save us so that we can just come here and gather together each Sunday. God saved us so that we can be the witnesses in the world. And what Paul is talking about here, this is real. People are perishing. There are people who don't believe. They don't see Christ as precious. They don't see his suffering as a treasure. There are so many people like that in your workplace. There are so many people like that in your family. There are so many people like that in your community. There are so many people like that in my family. They don't see that. But we are the aroma of Christ to God so that when we are the, the aroma of Christ in God to the nations so that where we are, people should smell life. How we live our life, people should smell hope. 
how we interact with the world when people see us, they should desire, they should look forward to the God, the one we believe in. People should feel comfortable or maybe uncomfortable because the way they see us, they question the way we're living our lives because of Christ Jesus. We are the fragrance that brings life, the aroma of God. We are not carrying death for other people. We carry death for ourselves. That's why the Bible said each day we're walking with it. But to those people, we have hope because the church is the hope of the world. The gospel message, the true gospel, is the hope of the world. There is another side in verse 16. To one fragrance from death to death, to the other fragrance from life to life. So he brings these two pictures. There are these people who are dying. They are going to perish. You know, if they know what we are doing, it's really urgent. They are going to die. There is, you know, life is at stake here. But also, at the same time, Paul felt so encouraged that there were other people who were looking at him and what they were doing and how they were preaching the gospel. They were accepting the gospel. They were saying yes to it. So it is an encouragement to us as Christ followers. You might move towards someone today and they refuse to believe the gospel, but that's not the end. Christ followers, we are so good to connect amongst ourselves. We are very good to invite other Christ followers in our homes. But think about this. Time is not with us. I hope you are reading and seeing how even the church, that is the hope of the world, they are turning away from the truth. A lot of churches right now, they are giving into what the culture is offering. They are really making things so easy for people. As people demand, they give. As people demand, they give. But will you stand that? Will you remain true to the true gospel? To those who are in your family, even if at the point of saying, if it means that I am rejected for this, I will accept, but I'm not going to give into the idea of not standing for the true gospel. Yeah, because I've got my brother who looks like this and my sister, therefore I need to accommodate and we change the love of God and explain it in a bad way so that we can accommodate people. No, our work is not to accommodate people. Our work it is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the gospel that is the power of God to change the lives of people. You, will never, you and I will never change people. It is the gospel that has the power to transform lives. Therefore, if our confidence is not in the true gospel, there is no way that your siblings, my relatives, my colleagues, my friends, there's no way that they will experience. You can love them, but that will never change them. Let me tell you this. You can give them whatever you want, but that will never change them. The only power that can change people is the gospel. Love them. Care for them. Do whatever you can. But do not miss the opportunity if it is the door that God has opened for you to enter, enter, preach the gospel to them. Don't regret one day. Tell them about Jesus. Say to them, I love you so much, but there is someone who loves you more than I do, and that is the Son of God, the living God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He loves you more than I do. Say that to your siblings. God loves them much than you do. And reminds them that there will come a time you will disappoint them, but there is one who does not disappoint, and that's God. There will come a time you lay them down, but God doesn't let us down. When you're going through difficulties, it doesn't mean that God has left you. No ways. He is with us. Remember the promise, I'll never leave you or forsaken you. Paul was so encouraged to see that there were those who believed Jesus and received Jesus and embraced Jesus and they treasure him. 
And those people leave. And he's confident in the gospel is that those people live forever in eternity with Christ. I believe that. That's what I said last week. The relationships that we have in Christ will take them with us into eternity. All right. We are going to be landing because I know Cape Town time is money. I'm sorry, I take that back. There is an idol of time in Cape Town, but I, I take that back. Okay. I have to honor your time, and I'm going to do that. I'm watching. I'm watching. We'll be landing soon. These verses, there were not those verses that you can walk through them because they have some theological meaning to them that need to be explained for us to understand. So what Paul is trying to say, if I have to put it just in summary in these verses, God conquered him when he was his enemy. God conquered Paul when he was his enemy. He is now leading Paul both in triumph and in suffering. There is reason for him to exalt in this procession. And there is reason for him to moon in this journey that is on with God. Paul's calling is to show the sufferings of Christ to the world in his own suffering. That's what he's trying to display. In his own suffering, he wants to show the world the suffering of Christ. The other picture we can put together is that Christ has a sweet, as a sweet smelling sacrifice or incense to God, and Paul sharing in Christ's mission and sufferings so that he becomes this very fragrance in the world, which some smell as life and live, but others smell as death and they die. Now let me leave us with this question because it's from verse 16 and we are going to be done. The answer is in verse 17. Who is sufficient for these things? This is a very good question. So I've just explained to you how Paul sees himself. God has actually conquered him. God has brought him. Now he's living. He's suffering. He wants the, the world to know that his suffering is from God. Uh, is to display Christ's suffering. And he wanted to, to, to show the world about the love of God and, and, and all that in his mission. But here comes verse 16. Then he, the last part of verse 16, he asked the question, um, sorry about that, he asked the question, who is sufficient for these things? Now Paul asks at the end of verse 16, can I ask some of you, who is sufficient for these things? So he explained from verse 12 to verse 15, then he got to the last part of verse 16 and said, who is sufficient for these things? Who can actually live like this? In other words, who can bear the weight of knowing that the aroma of Christ exalting life will lead some to eternal life and others to eternal death? Who can bear this? It's a serious It's very interesting and, and a serious question that Paul is as hearted in these in this, in this verses. Who could bear it? It's more like we walk outside here, you go to Menard Mall, and as you are walking, there are other people you feel like they are interested and smiling at you, but as you are walking, then you could see other people collapsing, they are dying. They are dying, they are dying. You know, that's what they are dying. Who could, you know, you go, who is sufficient for these things? You know, people, I'm, 
you are walking, others are getting life, but others are dying, and you, could, you, you are witnessing that. In one sense, the answer is that no one. Who is sufficient for these things? No one. In this room, no one is sufficient for these things. But that's not Paul's many points. He said in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12, we looked at that the other day, the other Sunday, and Romans 1 verse 5, that he carries out this very ministry by the grace of God. He is not sufficient. You and I are not sufficient in ourselves. We are not sufficient in ourselves to be witnesses or to witness about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You and I are not sufficient in ourselves. We cannot do this. It is difficult. It is hard. There is no missionary who feels sufficient. But 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, it says our sufficiency is from God. Can I bear this weight of being the aroma of Christ in Cape Town? Can I bear this weight of being the aroma of Christ in my family? Can I bear this weight of being the aroma of Christ at my workplace? Let me leave us with what verse 17 presents here. Turning them into questions, and I would encourage you to write these questions down. Paul gives us five tests in verse 17 to help us know that. The first one, do you treasure Christ enough so that you do not peddle his weight? Do you treasure Christ enough so that you do not peddle his weight? Paul says, for we are not like so many Peddlers of God's word. Those are the people like someone who is doing small businesses from here to there. He said, we are not that. These peddlers, they don't love Christ. They love money. And they use Christ so that they can live. That's the first test. Do you love Christ more than money? Now, you may say, Andre, why are you asking that? Let me tell you how it works. It's what you prioritize and who you prioritize matter to you. If your shift is more important than Christ, then that is what matters to you. If your work is more important than Christ, you don't see it as a mission field, then your work matters to you more than God, and the work matters more to you more than his mission. So if the question is, do you treasure Christ enough so that you do not peddle his word? That's what I mean. You might say that you don't preach the gospel so that people give you money. You don't do this. No, 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 no. You actually put money above Christ because you treasure that the most in the way that you live your day-to-day life. Or maybe money is your God. Maybe your hope is in money, more in money than it is in Christ. This is not an easy one. Because you might say we have to work hard so that we can live and survive. Where's our trust? I'm not calling people to be lazy. I'm not saying that we should not work. It is our approach and our view of money versus our view of God in our lives. What do we trust the most?
And there are four phrases that he mentioned in verse 17. Since reality, from God, before God, in Christ. He said that's how we speak. So we speak honest truth. We speak from God. We speak before God in Christ, which means knowing that one day I will be judged by God. One day I will stand before God. Will you speak from sense reality? Will you speak the truth from your heart? The truth hates, but it is the truth that sets us free. Will you be real? Will you mean what you say? Will you say no to hypocrisy? Where you are living your life as an hypocrite, but yet you claim to be a Christ follower. The third one. Will you speak as from God? That is, will you take not only your commission from God, but your words and your authority from God? Your words and your authority from God. These are great tools and truth that should equip us as Christ followers, gives us confidence because I've had people say to me, I found it difficult to talk to my colleague at work to share my faith. I found it difficult because I'm so concerned that if I do, that relationship is going to go bad or even with my siblings. Now, let me tell you this. Will you speak as from God or will you speak as from yourself? Because if you speak as from God, which means that the God who has called you, when you open your mouth, will give you words, and those words will do the work, and not you. By the way, it is the challenges we find in ministry that pushes us to go on our knees and ask God for his help. I haven't been well this week, physically. I'm sick. You, might, you may not pick it up or what, but it is going to God and say, this is not me. This is not about me. Please give me even a little strength that I may stand to share a word. Will you speak his word and not your own? Will you speak in his authority and not your own? Because when you speak in your own authority, you are just going to make noise. Not, nothing is going to change. You are going to get people scared. You are going to get people um, maybe feel guilty. But the gospel is not there to make people feel guilty. The gospel is made to make people realize that there is a God who loves them so much. And Jesus died for them. And he wanted them to see his love and he wants them to come to him. He wants them to believe in him. That's the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Will you draw your strength and your guidance from his power and wisdom and not your own? Will you speak as before God? Still in verse 17. That is, will you reckon him to be your judge and no man? Listen, I'm not bringing this message without, I have to say something. There are a lot of stuff on these questions that I wrestle with, I struggle with. The one thing I have to mention, one of my weaknesses is that I rather avoid conflict than face the people and tell them straight away. But people might think that Andre does it straight away, but I avoid. Even when I feel like it's from the Lord. So it's the weakness, but I need to learn to say, this is not mine, it is from the Lord. Let me have the boldness and courage to share. Where do you draw your strength from? Will you speak as before God? We are going to be done now. That is, will you reckon him to be your judge and no man? The last one. Will you speak as in Christ? That is, will you get your identity and your assurance 
and your confidence and your hope and your courage from your union with Christ. Can I invite us to stand? Ephraim. Let me repeat the last question. Will you speak as in Christ? That is, will you get your identity and your assurance and your confidence in your hope and your hope and your courage from your union with Christ? Friends, when it comes to mission, one of the things that a lot of us are scared to be witnesses and to share God's word, maybe we say that we are concerned because we don't want to destroy the relationships with people, but let me tell you this. If God's opened that door, I want you to think about this. It is not about your identity. It is not about you trying to protect your own reputation. That's the reason why we have to make sure that our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. I want to remind you this morning that every Christ follower is a missionary. We are all witnesses. God has blessed you where he's blessed you because he has a work to do with you. And it is not good for you to, to miss the opportunity. If it is the door that has opened and is not of God, ask God to say, allow me not to walk through it. But if it is a God that has opened and is of God, ask God a question, why am I here? Even those of you who are in this community, ask God a question, why did you bring me here? Why are you in that job? Once you know the reason, then whatever you do in that community, whatever you do in your family, whatever you do at your workplace, you will do and speak in Christ because your identity is in Christ. Your assurance is in Christ. Your confidence is in Christ. You are not going to be afraid of losing your job because you know that it is God who has put you there. You will have so much peace to stand for the truth than to refuse to stand for the truth, but yet getting the money that you are not going to really reconcile with your conscience. I want to sleep at peace, knowing that I've spoken the truth. I want to sleep with peace, knowing that God has helped me and enabled me to share his word without any mind of fear or wanting to get approved from anyone but you share because you know that God wants you to share his words. Do not please anyone. And to finish, there are no perfect missionaries. There is no such a thing as a perfect missionary Every person who serves the Lord, I stand every single, whenever Sundays I get an opportunity to preach, there is always fear in me. Because there is no one who would say that I'm a perfect missionary or I'm a perfect preacher. We all need the power of God to help us, to enable us, the Holy Spirit, to share God's word. I am going to pray and I'm going to ask you to pray that God would give you courage and boldness to stand as his witness in your workplace, in your family, in your community, that you will share without fear and ask God to give you words. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Ask the Lord and say, Father, help me. Those of you who don't have clarity, those of you who are wrestling in your workplace, you are wanting to leave, or maybe you are wanting to leave the country. You have to ask God, God, why am I feeling this way? You have to say to God, God, why am I feeling this way? And if you have a peace of God, then ask God, God, what do you want me to do? I then have a prayer request that I would love to ask the church to pray with me. There is a picture that I want to share with you. 
and I want to ask the church to please pray. You won't see it properly, but those guys who are there, they are in Lagos, part of the church called City Church. And these 20 guys, in a few weeks, God's willing, I'm going to be with them. These are church planters. They've sent me their prayer requests. As we are talking on mission, a number of these guys, they are professionals, but they've put their hands up and they've walked a journey for two years as this church sends me out. And uh, these guys have been really wrestling and trusting God to plant new churches. And they send their prayer request. They say, please pray for us before we can connect, before we meet again, before we come together. Please pray for us that as we are taking this decision, our wives will be on the same page with us. These are church planters, young professionals who are saying yes to plant churches around the part of Lagos, Nigeria. And let's pray that God, their church is city, they are, they are doing this training under one church called City Church. And uh, in three weeks' time, God's willing, I'm going to be with them in Lagos. Just pray that God's grace will be upon their families. They ask me to say, please pray for us for resources, that God will give us peace with our decisions, the decision that we've taken to plant gospel-centered churches. Please, let's pray in Jesus' name. Let's pray that there will be a fragrance of life to their city. In Jesus' name. you so much. Then the final prayer that I want to pray, there's, a, there's another slide. I want us to land with that. Sorry, I don't know if you can see from far. There are, I put some round circles on a few countries there. Um, I have to say that as this church sends me, as I said, when we started this church, our prayer was cross-cultural mission. And we wanted to make sure that we can reach people beyond. God brought it to us that at least I have the opportunity to travel. There are countries that have circled in red. There are the countries where God has opened the door, where at least not an easy thing, but through God's grace, we get to minister in those parties. And those which are black, they are the places where they're really wanting us to go and save. When I mean us, at least at this point, this church can only send me, but I'm hoping to go with some of the leaders on some of these trips. Maybe you pray for me that God, those doors which are not of you, of you, please close them. I don't want to walk through any doors which is not of God. And those which are God's doors which has opened, I'd love to see our friendship, Common Ground Church, Weinbeck, with those churches really growing that we can save beyond ourselves. Can we pray that God would close the doors that are not of him? And God would really strengthen us in terms of the churches that we are currently uh, building relationships with. Thank you so much.